Good morning. Today's reading is from the book of Psalms, chapter 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God, or, excuse me, come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is God's word. Thank you, Dave. Dave and Christy live in downtown Watertown and spent much of the day, like several of you, um, not able to leave their home on Friday. And so... You can keep your Bibles out to Psalm 46. Uh, if you have them in front of you, we'll also have the scripture references up on the screen behind me at, uh, at different times. Uh, this last Monday was uh, my family's first Boston Marathon to watch. Uh, we're just about a 15-minute walk from Central Street, Central Avenue in Natick. Uh, and so, like much of the neighborhood, we loaded a bag of goodies and grabbed the stroller, and headed down to uh, watch a pretty incredible race, uh, sitting right around the eight-mile mark. Uh, I've never, honestly never seen anything like that, just the massive crowds going through. It was a lot of fun, uh, and we were kind of excited to be part of Boston culture. You know, we've been here almost two years now, and, and this is what the townies do, right? You, you go to the race, and you watch it, and you cheer them on, and it was, you know, there's almost kind of a, a sense of pride that, we live in walking distance to the route of the Boston Marathon. Um, of course, hours later, you know, comes the, the sober and quite shocking reminder that we still live in a fallen world, uh, a world filled with what the psalmist here simply calls trouble. Trouble. And there's evidence enough of that every day. But Tragedies like this get our attention in a special way. That's why we can often remember where we are when we first heard about them. Uh, you know, just getting out of class in Richards Hall my freshman year of college when uh, a former classmate told me about the Columbine shooting. I remember exactly what sidewalk I was crossing. Um, sitting in the dentist chair watching the news while the second tower fell to the ground on 9-11 know exactly where I was. Heading home for lunch, uh, when I heard on the radio um, that the department store, sorry, the department store that my sister-in-law worked in, in Omaha, uh, Von Moore had been shot up and that there were casualties. And yeah. I remember grabbing the phone and praying, God, don't let it be Jessica. 
excuse me. Many of you grabbed your phones on Monday and you prayed, trying to locate friends and family. You had friends and family from around the country trying to locate you. And the fear that grips you in that moment, that uncertainty, a sudden realization that we're not as safe as we thought we were. We're really not in control of any of this. And our hearts are flooded with fear. Uh, The fear of losing someone that you love. The fear of life never being the same again. The fear of of pain, even death. We, We gladly breathed a sigh of relief on Friday night as the last suspect was was apprehended, and and we praise God, again, for the incredible work of our local and federal authorities, but we're still left with some pretty unsettling questions. What do we do with all of this? What, How do we make sense of it all when tragedy strikes so close to home, when the earth seems to give way right around us like it did on Monday, when it's happening not just on the TV somewhere else in the world, but in the city that we love, on the streets that we walk in, in the neighborhoods that we live in. Now, the psalm that we're looking at this morning uh, is very honest about how this world is filled with trouble, with disaster and tragedy, and how it does not work the way that it's supposed to. And yet... How amid that chaos, and amid the crises, there is hope, there is stability, there is security that's so strong, we need not live in fear. A hope and security that come not from within us, but from the God who makes his presence with us. So please pray with me as we look to and and seek to hear from God This morning in this psalm. Lord, it is your voice that we want to hear. It's your word that we need to hear. So I pray that you would meet us this morning. That your spirit would be at work in every heart. That you'd give us ears to hear. That you would give us eyes to see you. And that you would change our hearts. To know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. When this psalm was written, um, the song that we call uh, Psalm 46, God's ancient covenant people were facing a, a very deep and tragic trouble. We don't know precisely what that was, and I think that's actually intentional because this song was written not just for Israel's trouble, but for our trouble for all God's people in any trouble that they may face in life. And the imagery that the psalmist uses is quite dramatic. Uh, In verses 2 through 3, he describes it in language of natural disaster. So the earth giving way, the mountains falling into the sea, the waters roaring and foaming, overtaking the earth, the mountains quaking. So it's imagery of creation being undone, of chaos. And it's a pretty good description of what many experienced at the finish line on Monday. The earth 
feeling like it's just dropping out beneath you, a city trembling and shaking at the shock of the explosion, at the senseless loss of life. The second imagery that the psalmist uses also captures the situation pretty dramatically. In verse 6, we see Jerusalem, the city of God, the, the city of his holy temple, the place of King David's throne, being attacked by foreign nations. So just as the waters roared in verse 3, so the nations roar in verse 6. It's the same word. Just as the mountains fall in verse 2, so the kingdoms fall in verse 6. Again, same word for fall. It's a picture of violence and warfare that sets an entire city on edge. And that picture touches even closer to home because there was nothing about this week's, uh, nothing natural about this week's disaster. This was an act of evil intent on wounding and injuring and terrorizing the people of this city and all the guests gathered from around the the globe right under the watchful eye of the world. A public spectacle. It was an act of terrorism. And we call it terrorism because that's what it seeks to do to strike fear and terror into our hearts. And to be honest, it often works. It often works. I mean, again, we're we're so thankful that the present threat has been removed, but we spent much of this week in fear, glued to the television, checking the Twitter updates every five minutes. You know, the unknown of of who did it uh, for the first few days, then the fear of knowing that, that the suspects were hiding in some of our neighborhoods. We fear for our safety. We fear losing those closest to us. We fear the loss of life as we know it. Several of the early reactions that captured in the local papers express this very fear. A local Natick man uh, told reporters that he was afraid that the marathon as he knew it was gone. The bombers had stolen it. It's never going to be the same, he said. Once something like this happens, nothing goes back, not like it was. One letter to the editor uh, in the Taunton, and I'm mispronouncing that city name, Taunton Daily Gazette. Uh, One letter to the editor asked, can we ever truly feel safe again? Uh, The author who, who lives in Quincy writes, What has become of our society? I ask this question because I don't have the answer. In the 70s, I remember walking to school just a few blocks away from home when I was six with my eight-year-old brother, something that just doesn't happen anymore. As a young boy of nine or ten, I felt safe and secure in my home, in my city, in my state, and in my country. Monday was just another example of how times have changed. When and where will we ever feel safe Again, I think that question he asks is a question in a lot of our hearts. When and where will we ever feel safe again? That question is the brick wall we crash into when it dawns on us how unstable and unpredictable and unsafe the world we live in really is. A safety we can no longer take for granted. 
This is the insecurity of life in a fallen and broken world, a world surrounded by other humans who, just like us, are corrupted by sin. And when we speak of living in a fallen or broken world, or when we speak of humans, that all humans are corrupted by sin, we're not saying that it's as bad as it could be, or that we're as bad as we could be. Uh, In many ways, I think the heroic actions of the first responders outshined the darkness of that tragedy as they raced toward the victims, even despite the potential of, of further bombs. Rather, what we're saying is that this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it's supposed to be. When God created this world, it was good. When he created humans, he made them in his image to know and love him as a child knows and loves a father and to reflect his love to the world. But when the first humans chose to doubt God's love and they chose to disagree with what God said was good and not good and decided instead that they should be the ones calling the shots, that they should be king instead of God, that's when what we call sin entered the world. It was a rebellion against God. It was high treason against the king of heaven. And the result of that rebellion was judgment for sin. It was death and eternal death. Instead of enjoying the blessing God created us for, humanity brought God's curse upon themselves. And not just on us as humans, but on the very fabric of God's good creation. It is now broken and flawed. And so it is that the world doesn't work the way it's supposed to. It's fallen, it's, it's broken, it's, it's stained and corrupt. We see that again in the torn fabric of creation. Diseases that, that ravage our bodies, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Natural disasters that uh, devastate lives. You know, think of the, the fire and explosion on Wednesday in West Texas. Uh, claimed at least 14 lives and 60 people still missing from it. We see the brokenness of this world again in, in humanity's ability to accomplish great evil. The atrocities of war and genocide, murder, physical abuse, sexual abuse, and of course, terrorism. The evil that killed Crystal Campbell, Martin Richard, Lingzi Liu, that injured 176 others, including 13 who lost limbs, at least that many took the life of a police officer, severely wounded another. And we see that and it's shocking to us. But but this evil stretches so far beyond Boston. On the same day that three were killed from a bomb downtown, 55 were killed across Iraq in a string of coordinated bombings. And another 27 killed in a coffee shop on Thursday in Baghdad. What we experience as a momentary national tragedy is daily life for so many in this world. And yet, the fallenness of this world is much, much closer than any of us would ever like to admit. The same sin that drove those men to do what they did lies in every human heart. Every human heart. But for the grace of God, there go I.
And though we may not be as bad as we could be, by God's grace, everything we do is still marked in some way by that fallenness, by that sin. Whether it's the subtle pride we have when we do good or the selfish motives that fuel us or our grumbling or bitterness or perhaps even uh, our idolatry of, of treating something other than God as though it is and looking to it as our ultimate thing. We're all affected by sin and we all participate in sin. And as long as there's sin in this world, there will be trouble. There will be trouble. But as honest as this psalm is about the problems that mark life in a fallen world, the note that it sounds again and again is not one of fear, but of hope and security. But not just a hope and security in our circumstances. The threat has been removed. We can all sleep well tonight. And not just a hope and security in our own strength or resolve. We're Boston strong. We'll get through this. A hope and security deeper and more stable than anything our circumstances or our city can offer. The hope and security of God's very presence with his people. That is the central message of this psalm, that God is present with his people to protect them in all trouble. Verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. God is an ever-present help in trouble. Verse 7. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress and again, verse 11, which is identical to verse 7. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's how the psalm begins. That's the middle point, and that's the end. God is present with his people to protect them in all trouble. He is our refuge. He's the place that we turn to for shelter amid the storm. He's our fortress. He's the place we run to for protection and safety when this world wars against us. We see his presence depicted in this psalm in the temple in ancient Jerusalem, the holy place where the Most High dwells and the picture of living waters flowing from God's presence to his people. Now, the temple in ancient Israel was the place where God's people went on earth to, to speak to and pray to the God who was in heaven. That's the place that represented God's covenant promises to bless his people in the land and to dwell with them, to set up his tent among them. Verse 5 tells us, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. And from Jerusalem, God's protective presence for his people extended to the ends of the earth. The temple stood at the center as this reminder that God was with his people to protect them. But as we follow the story of the Bible and, and we see that all of the promises of God's blessing, all of the promises of his protection and his presence that were represented by Jerusalem, they all point forward to a day when God himself would come down to earth. 
They point to the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God's Son, who is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. All that God promises about his presence and his protection in that ancient temple is available today through faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith in him, in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so, so when we look for God's presence today, we don't run to a building. We don't look for a building on the other side of the world that was destroyed thousands of years ago. We look to Jesus Christ. We look to our King. God with us, God for us. We look to the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, to the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us on the cross to rescue us from all sin and to redeem us for God, who rose from the dead in victory over evil and over the grave, and who sent His Holy Spirit to dwell in us, that he might be with us to the very end of the age. God is with us in Jesus to protect his people in all trouble. So, in, in what does that look like? In what ways is God our refuge amid the trouble? What does security and protection look like for us? First, It means that the God who made us is close enough and powerful enough to protect us and to rescue us from harm. Verse 1 again says that he is a present help in trouble. He's near. He's accessible. He's not far off somewhere beyond the stars just out of earshot from his people. What was that? Can you say that loud? He's near. God's presence is everywhere. He is able to to hear us, to protect us, and to rescue us. The Lord Almighty is with us. You know, for all of the trauma of this past week, there are also countless stories of God's protection and intervention. You know, from an untenable crowd that thwarted the, the, the Brocks and the Ozunas from being able to make it to the finish line as they were headed there, to the television set that intercepted a bullet that would have otherwise penetrated Pastor Steve McAlpin's bedroom in downtown Watertown during Thursday night's shootout. God answers prayer to protect his people. God is present to protect us from experiencing trouble, but second, he's also present when trouble strikes. So he protects us from it, but he's also with us when it strikes. Psalm 46, I would love to stand here and tell you that Psalm 46 promises this stuff's never going to happen again. That's not what it promises. It doesn't promise that there will be less trouble. But it does promise us that in Jesus we are never alone in our trouble. The waters will still roar. The nations will still rage until our Lord returns. But he has not left us as orphans. And he is not unfamiliar with our suffering. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to be ridiculed and rejected and mocked. To be slandered or ignored. He knows what it's like to to be betrayed by those closest to him. 
to be falsely accused, wrongfully imprisoned, unjustly condemned, to be beaten and brutally murdered as a public spectacle. Jesus knows what that's like. But more than that, he knows personally and intimately the trouble you face. Because when he hung on the cross, your trouble became his trouble. Just as your sin and my sin became his sin when he died on the cross that he might pay that penalty and and exhaust God's holy anger against our sin, so your sorrow and your suffering became his sorrow and his suffering that he might bear the weight of it for us and free us from it in part now, and fully, completely, in the end. He is with us to protect us from harm. He's with us in the midst of the harm and the trouble. But third, His presence provides a security and safety that nothing on this earth can shake. A security and safety that nothing on this earth, can shake. Cities can be shaken, quite literally. Kingdoms and nations can be shaken. Businesses and bank accounts, businesses can falter, bank accounts can be drained, relationships can be broken, bodies and minds can fail us. When the world around us is rocked, those are Ironically, the very things we tend to cling to and and try and hold control of. Even in the aftermath of Monday's bombing, you know, this is much of the message we, we heard. You know, our own strength, our own resolve. That's what will get us through. Nothing can defeat the heart of this city, we were told by Mayor Menino. Nothing will take us down because we take care of one another. President Obama told us, Your resolve is the greatest rebuke to whoever committed this heinous act. If they sought to intimidate us, to terrorize us, to shake us from the values that make us who we are as Americans, well, it should be pretty clear by now that they picked the wrong city to do it to. And while I want to add my praise to the strength and resolve of this city, it really is incredible. I mean, the courage, again, of the first responders... The, the care and expertise of the medical personnel who cared around the clock for the victims and even for the perpetrator right now. The, the tireless and dauntless effort of, of local and state and federal authorities in identifying and tracking down the criminals. The selfless cooperation of the public. It's incredible how, how the public just helped out in that way, the support of our president, the solidarity of cities and people from around the world. There is so much to be thankful for. This really is a tremendous city. I agree with with what Governor Patrick said uh, when he said that the grace this tragedy exposed is the best of who we are. And we really saw that this week in so many ways. It is a strong city. But the reality is, then none of these things can give the deceased victims back to their families. None of these things can undo the pain of this tragedy. And none of it can actually protect us from something like this happening again. 
We are no safer today than we were last Monday morning when we knew none of this was going to happen. And if we put our ultimate hope and security in things that can be shaken, we set ourselves up for devastation and disappointment. But there is a God who can raise the dead. And who promises to do so on the last day. There is a king whose death on the cross was enough to cover all sin. Your sin, my sin, the sin of Zokar, everyone's sin. And to defeat that sin, there is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. A heavenly city that no bomb can touch and no terror can overcome. There is, as the Apostle Peter describes it, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept safe in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded right now through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And at the center of all of that is the God who made us, who rules over us in justice and goodness, in holiness and love, the God who sent his eternal son to save us, who is present with us by the Holy Spirit for those who trust in Christ as Savior and King. God alone is the one able to make wars cease to the ends of the earth, to break the bow and shatter the spear and burn the shields with fire. And though this world may take away from us all that we hold dear on earth, our way of life, our loved ones, even our own lives, it cannot take us away from God. Not if we belong to Jesus. It cannot take us away from God. And it cannot take from us our inheritance in heaven. God's the one guarding that. No one can get to that. The coming new creation where God himself will dwell finally and fully right in the midst of his people when all wrongs will be brought to justice, when his peace will triumph over all, where he will wipe away every tear, every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That is a hope that nothing on earth can touch. God is present with his people to protect us in all trouble. There is hope and security available even in a fallen world. And for that reason, for that reason... We do not need to clamor for control amid the chaos, and we do not need to live out our days in fear. 
Look again at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and mountains quake with their surging, if God is with us and if He's stronger than the chaos and the trouble of this world, if there's nothing that can take us away or separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, then we need not live in fear. We need not worry. Even though trouble comes, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We need not live in fear nor clamor for control amid the chaos. Look at verses 8 through 10. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. If God is the one who can put down evil, who will be faithful to establish his purposes in the end, to exalt his name over every nation and display his glory and power and reclaim his fallen world for himself. In other words, if God is God, then we don't have to be. We can be still. We can cease striving and stop clamoring as though the fate of this whole world lay on our shoulders. It doesn't mean that we don't work hard to fight against evil and injustice. It doesn't mean that we don't want or value the highly skilled authorities who did such an excellent job providing civic protection. But it means that we keep in mind all the while who it is that's actually able to do something about the situation. It means that our trust is not ultimately in horses or chariots or tanks or armored cars. It's not in the resolve of our city or the strength in our own hearts. It's in God. God is the one who will be exalted in the end. We trust in him. If Jesus is your Savior and King, if you have recognized the wickedness of your sin and turned away from it and to Jesus in faith, trusting in what He has done in His life and in His death on the cross and in His resurrection to to rescue you from your sin, to forgive you and cleanse you such that you belong to Him, then take heart. Take heart. You will have trouble in this world, Jesus says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Fear not and rest in Jesus. Cry out to him in prayer. Let his presence calm your heart and give you perspective. And let his gospel shape your response to tragedies like this. 
both with an honesty that calls sin and evil what it is, but with a compassion and grace that flows freely from the cross. Pray for your enemies. If you're here this morning, and maybe you're here every Sunday morning, but your heart is unsettled and perhaps it's locked in anger or fear or hardened with indifference because you know deep down that you do not have the peace that this psalm is talking about because Jesus is not your Savior and King, then take Jesus. Cast your life and your faith and your hope on him. And find the hope and security that nothing in this world can shake. Find the peace and rest of knowing that God is God and and that he's with us by his spirit, that he's conquered sin and death by the blood of his son, that with him there is forgiveness and peace that lasts and that he will be exalted in the end and rest joyfully in him. May all of us heed the words of 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen.